Hey, Redeem family, thank you so much for joining us for Redeem Online this weekend. Today, we are talking about a big topic. And this is maybe one that theologians and pastors and your friends might talk about or might uh, have argued about more than any of it. And that is the idea of where is God in the midst of suffering? And so we're in this Rooted series. We're going through the Rooted course in our life groups. If you're in a life group, please read this week's chapter because it's so good and it breaks down where is God in the midst of suffering. And this is a question that you can't really just come up with a simple answer for. So this is not going to be an exhaustive uh, sermon, but it's something that I wanted to look at and I want to say where is God in the midst of suffering and how do we interact with suffering as a body? And so before I begin, I want to acknowledge something. Some of you may be in a season of grief and suffering and sorrow. And if that's you, I want you to know that we love you and we are here for you. It may be unresolved. It might be that you're in the middle of a grieving process. It might be raw, but we want to be there for you. And this is what the body does to come around each other. It might be that you have some unresolved things from your past, some deep sorrows, some things that have happened to you that many of us can't imagine. It might be resolved, it might be unresolved, but this idea of suffering is something that is, is, is really um, in your past and you have had experiences that many of us can't imagine. And then some of us, maybe we are in a season of peace. Maybe there's nothing wrong going on. If that's you, one of the challenges is that that won't be you forever, right? This is something in the human condition that we all deal with. And so if that's you, this is going to be so good for you to, for us to talk about this important topic so that we are prepared for when suffering and sorrow and grief comes our way. But I also want to acknowledge that we are in a season, we are in a place where we are interacting with people on a regular basis, or you might just be struggling with this subject in general. But this is a difficult question for most people, especially people outside the church, where is God in the midst of suffering? And so remember that part of this Rooted series is not only for us to grow deeper in our faith, but to also have a language and a common language that we can talk about life and, and faith's biggest questions with our friends and our family and our coworkers. Again, this is not going to be exhausted, but ho hopefully this will give you some insights into this idea of where is God in the midst of suffering. And so before we jump into the biblical text, I want to talk about, and I want to start here. We are living in a unique cultural moment. And as we talk about this topic of suffering and where is God in the midst of it, we have to understand the cultural moment that we are currently in. We are heading into this age where the humans are on this quest to end suffering. You know, I can't blame us on that. But I often think of this desire that we all want to be in what I can call this Teletubby world. I don't know if anybody remembers that show. I wasn't of the age to watch Teletubbies, but I had cousins who I had to babysit, and they were obsessed with this show Teletubbies. Now, I'm going to flash up a picture here just so you have it. But if you are not familiar with Teletubbies, for those that don't know, it was this show, and there was... Tinky Winky, Dipsy, La La and Pooh, and they frolicked and they played in the idyllic tubby, tubby, Teletubby land. And the grass is green, 
they all get along. I think they mostly got along because they only grunted. There was no like actual human language. And they, they would say things like, Ayo, which I think meant hello. And they just grunted at each other. And so that's probably how they got along. At random times, there was this baby's face that would show up in the sun. I might flash that up right there. And it just cooed and laughed. And my cousins loved it. My cousins loved it. And this is kind of the generation. This is how we grew up looking at these things. And we, of course, this is a funny way of saying it, but we are living in an age where this easy lifestyle is one of the greatest desires of people. You know, we're in this age where we want science and regulations and governments. Each, and each one of us kind of uh, need to find this way to eliminate this thing called suffering in our lives. It's the greatest desire of everyone is to get rid of this thing called suffering. And there's actually this movement that we're in. It's called transhumanism. I just want to make you aware of it. It's a philosophy devoted to research and development for the human advancement. They're looking for this way to radically extend human health, health and lifespan. You know, our kids are going to be faced with some incredible decisions about their life and technology. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't invest in research. I'm not saying that it's not good where the medical advancements that we've come and the amazing things that we can do uh, to just prevent disease and end disease. But we have to be ready for this as a church because we are going into a time where humans are trying to overcome the laws of nature and and the, the way that the Lord set things into motion. It's so important that we understand this. And I believe that the church has to be ready for this. There will be this massive disappointment of people and they will not know what to do with suffering. They're going to want this Teletubby type world, right? And so we won't build up the resilience and we won't know how to deal with suffering. You know, I love this. I love this saying. Many of us, many of us in the world or many of the people in the world are trying to build the kingdom without the king. They're trying to build a world without suffering. They're trying to build this ideal, this ideal Teletubby type world where we end all suffering, but they don't want to acknowledge the Lord within it. And so it's a challenging time. Many people are striving for things that are good, you know, taking care of one another, taking care of the sick, the sick um, setting things up to be perfect as best they can, this idyllic kingdom without the knowledge of the living God. And that's the challenge that we're going to be faced with as a church. And again, these are not bad things to strive for, but there is this challenge. And that's where this challenge is, is that suffering and death are not going away. And so we as a church, how do we deal with these two things that are going on where there is suffering and there's challenges in the world, but we're trying to move into a world where we're moving past that. I know for some of us, this might be too hard to get our heads around, but we're facing it on a daily basis and it's going to get more prevalent in our society. So can we all agree that yes, medical advancements are happening. We are actually living in an easier time than the times of probably most of the biblical texts of where people lived, where you don't find very many people living in a cave or having to go out and find their own food or grow their own food or live in a tent in the middle of the desert have to worry about a whole people group coming in and attacking you. Those aren't the that not the age that we're living in. But struggle and pain is a natural part of the human condition. 
and part of our partnership with the creative the creator god of the universe is understanding this fact and so we we can't regulate or find a cure for everything and we still have to live on planet crazy together with hurting people who are going to hurt people and greed and envy will still exist and people will still be driven by the almighty dollar and evil will still exist and there still is right and wrong and so in that world no matter how much we advance we are going to have to deal with this thing called suffering so the bad news is that there will be suffering and that will always be part of our world word world again for many of us we we desire that teletubby type world but that's not going to happen i'm sorry now as we explore the bible let's jump into this important topic and you can't begin the suffering conversation without starting at the beginning. You know, the creation story begins with this simple and profound fact. God sets up the earth, he, creation happens, and he does this unique thing. And that unique thing is that he creates us as humans, and he creates us as a special creation. You know, we actually are, one thing that's true is that we are actually a unique and beautiful snowflake. It's an amazing thing about the human, uh, about the creation story and humans within the creation story. We are the only ones made of the image of God. We are the creation where the spirit of God actually can take residence in. We're the only creation that can, ha that, that can happen. And we are precious because God created us to be in relationship and this is very important for today's topic. He, the fact that he created us to partner with him. That he desires us to be in relationship and partnership with him is a huge part of the story. So God dwells in the Garden of Eden, and you know the story, with Adam and Eve. And of course, we fast forward to Genesis 3, 16 through 19. They eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the Lord catches up to them and says this, because sin now enters the world, we get this. Verse 16. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. Verse 17. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will not eat, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your fruit food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. From dust you are, and to dust you will return. And the result of this choice is sin enters the world and evil enters the world. Now we have joy and pain that exist. Uh, closeness and broken relationships now exist. Physical pain, emotional pain, toil, death now exists. Suffering is now an intruder into paradise. And this gives us the basic understanding of the origin story of human suffering. And the, the rest of the biblical narrative is simply this. The story of God in the midst of this suffering to redeem all of mankind. And we now join in that story. And we now, in relationship with God, join in that redeeming story of what God's trying to do. All of us now have this choice. 
And we all now know that we are, as part of our human nature, is that sin entered the world and we have this fallen nature. And so now we are faced with a world with death and decay. And all of creation now faces death, disease, pain, seasons, rainy days, mold, and just the world decaying. And it says in Romans 8, it tells us that we know that the whole creation has been growing as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The whole earth is crying out for redemption since that moment. And we still live in a world where the evil one has schemes to mess things up. Ephesians 22 tells us, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. We're going to talk about this more next week because next week's topic, and it's so mission critical that we understand that, is that there is an enemy and how, that, how we operate within that. That's, but that is the suffering origin story. From this point on, pain and challenges are part of the way the world operates. But in the midst of it, God is desiring partnership and relationship. And I'm not saying that it's easy. There's times where I so desired to be in that Garden of Eden life. I long for the days of redemption where I go and live with my Lord and Savior. But in the meantime, we are faced with this question, like the Rooted uh, series says, where is God in the midst of this suffering? And I'd actually like to flip that question a little bit, to ask this question, how do we interact and partner with God in a world of pain and sorrow and challenges and suffering. And so as we uh, look into the biblical text, we're going to look at three examples of how in the midst of deep suffering, people searched, partnered, seeked, and grew with God in a time of their greatest sorrow. And the first place I want to look is the Psalms. This book is filled with words of shame and fear, grief and heartache, sorrow and suffering, and just inner unrest in general. And if you're in a season of lament, I highly encourage you to dig into the Psalms. You know, as a matter of fact, one third of all the Psalms are laments. And, and, and it's this interesting pattern that we see because I'm so thankful that the Lord gave us this. There is this interacting with pain and sorrow and suffering and fear and, and the Lord and, and really wrestling with the Lord with some of these things. And yet there's also this where they go quickly into the Lord is God and that he is good and that he is our protector in times of challenge. This is how we are to interact. So we just jump in there. The most, one of the most graphic descriptions of suffering and questioning, and questioning falls in Psalm 22. It cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. But look at the next verses right here. Practically the same breath, in the same line of thought, he holds these two things together. Verse 3, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted you. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. 
he reminds himself and proclaims that God is the Holy One and that he can put his trust in him. And how many times have we felt that first part, especially in a time of pain and suffering? But is our heart ready to also remember the second part of that psalm? This partnership that even in a world of suffering, that we have this hope in who the Lord is. Yes, of course there will be pain, but he is in the pain with us. And it doesn't change the way that God is. And God is our hope, right? Psalm 73, 12 through 16, it deals with this conundrum that many of us may have faced in our life. We often wonder why it seems like people who are doing evil, right, increase in wealth and get this carefree life. I, don't, I know I have. I don't know if you ever have wondered that. Even when we are living great, doing the tasks of the Lord, doing things for the Lord, doing all the right things, we may still face troubles. And we see it in Psalm 73. See, these are the wicked, and they increase wealth, ever carefree. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. And I have been plagued all day and rebuked every morning. If I, if I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have acted treacherously against your children's generation. When I thought about how to understand this, it was troubling in my eyes. This was a hard thing for the writer to understand. And yet we turn to verse 23 and 24 and it says this, Yet I am always with you. You hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. This is a hard one for, under, for us to understand. Sometimes we are in a place of great heartbreak or pressing and you see people not living for God and increasing in wealth and getting that carefree lifestyle that we all desire. But you remember where that story ends. And the psalmist helps us remember that he's holding our right hand and he's guiding and he's counseling us and reminding us of a future glory that outweighs anything that we have on this earthly treasures. You know, Psalm 63, another one that I'll bring up. David is writing while on the run from Saul in the desert and he writes this, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you, thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. We see this pattern that is in the midst of suffering. In seasons of lament, it's good to cry out. It's good to go deep. It's okay to ask questions. It's, it's good to search. But in the same breath, in the same heart song, it's also important for us to remember that we put our faith in God who never leads, leaves us. He's our rock and our protector. And in this, it reminds us that God is in the midst of our pain and suffering. He is in the redeeming business. We have to trust that. Suffering is part of the world. But again, we are called to relationship and partnership with a God who feels our pain and is in that redeeming business. Now, another area that I want to look at is Paul. And we look at it throughout his letters to the church. Paul is making sure that, we, that the early church understands that suffering will be coming their way. But he tells us specifically a couple ways that we are to interact with this suffering. In the early church, and it's probably going on now in this church, in, in, in the American church, to be honest with you, we may equate or get worried that afflictions and sorrow can be a sign of God's wrath 
or a sign of God distancing or the sign that, that, that God's not anointing something. But when we look at Romans 5, 3 through 5, we see that Paul says this, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that the suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, these sufferings that Paul's talking about here, are, they're sufferings that he's talking to the church about really because they're facing because of their faith. Persecutions that will be happening to the early church that believers will face. And there is a promise that God is redeeming all things. But in all the challenges that we face, like illness and loss and grief and difficulties, whatever it is, this is the posture that we're supposed to take. Perseverance. Perseverance. And how do we take that posture? Because of the hope that is sealed with the Holy Spirit through love. Where, the, where is God in the midst of this suffering? Well, Paul is telling us right here, we can face this suffering because of hope. And we get this deep sense of the love of God in a unique way during our sufferings. And it builds up perseverance. Again, remember the Bible tells us that we will always face hardships. Believers, non-believers, good men and women, wicked men and women will all face the same things. But what do we as believers have that's different? We have hope within the middle of it. You know, the NIV uses this word glory. But it translates in other places as rejoice. It says, but we also have glory in our suffering or we also rejoice in our sufferings. When we, when we look at this, we are to respond completely different than our carnal nature wants us to, right? Paul is telling us that in suffering, we do something that's, that sets us apart, which is we actually rejoice. And for us to be truly redeeming people, we build up this perseverance, which leads to character and character to more hope. For us to be people of hope, we have to go through this process. I'm going to flash up this. I saw this on Instagram the other day, this, this post from Dr. Carolyn Leaf. And what it shows is how many of us think of sorrows and grief and suffering where it gets smaller. But really, our capacity to handle it gets bigger. It doesn't necessarily get smaller, but God uses it to build up our capacity. In the midst of suffering, we grow in things like perseverance, character, and hope. And we stand out completely to the rest of the world when we actually rejoice in it. They look in amazement when they see us rejoicing in it and growing in perseverance in the midst of suffering. All of us will face suffering, but we as believers are marked differently in how we engage with it and the hope that we know in the Lord. And the last story I want to share is, is comes down to the New Old Testament, and it's the story of Naomi and Ruth. This is a story of, suf of suffering, but it's also of loyalty and God's goodness in the midst of suffering. I'm not going to read it, but I'll just summarize it for you. The background is that this is happening during a time of darkness and a time of famine. And so we find out that Naomi and her husband go and leave their town in Bethlehem, and they go to Moab for a little while and they have two sons and Naomi's husband ends up dying and so her two she's left with her two sons and they marry Moabite women 
Fast forward and both the, her sons die. And so it's great sorrow that, that Naomi is left now to take care of herself in a time of need with no males to take care of her. She's left with two Moabite daughter-in-laws. One of them is named Ruth. And Naomi plans to move back to Bethlehem. And here's how in Moab they are providing food. So she tells her daughter-in-laws to go get food and to find new husbands. Naomi is accepting her fate and wants the best life for them. She actually changes her name because she says that the Almighty has made her life very bitter. She is in deep suffering. Well, the the one daughter-in-law leaves, but Ruth stays with Naomi. In a time of great sorrow, she stays with her mother-in-law. Now, many of you know the rest of the story. Ruth uh, and Boaz, they end up together and they have a baby, Obed. And it's actually the grandfather of David, which leads us to this, this incredible redemptive story of God's grace from widows to the line of the Savior of the world. But I want to say this. Sometimes when we, when we say, where is God in the midst of sorrow? Sometimes he's using us like he used Ruth. When you're facing sorrow, sometimes God uses it for all of us to grow closer together. If we are to be redeeming people, we have to be there during times of suffering. The greatest lie that we can have right now in the life that we're living is that comfort is the most important thing in our lives. To be in community is hard. Anybody that tells you differently is wrong. Being in community is hard. Because in, in a body like this, just the people that are just listening to this online right now, I can guarantee that someone is listening and they are going through a challenge and they need people. And the question we are faced is, are we going to run to a place of ease and more comfort or will we, like Ruth, say, this is my family and I'm staying with them. I'm going to stay for the greater good of the family. And Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. There will always be a time where someone in the body is, is, is dealing with something. And we can run to ease and comfort or we can love one another and we can answer this question, where is God in the midst of suffering? Sometimes it's us being the hands and feet to people who are in need. You know, I love this story that Mr. Rogers always shares that when there's something bad on the news, he always says, look at the people running in, not the people who caused the problem, because those are the heroes. And so like Ruth, are we willing to go deep in a time of suffering and sorrow where we are making choices for the, for, to stay together and to be there for people who are suffering? If we are going to be called Redeem Church, we are part of the redeeming process. This is what we are called to do, and we have to do that. When we look at where is God in the suffering, we look to Jesus, the suffering servant, right? We know that. This, since the garden, all of creation has been groaning, and Jesus comes and chooses to enter into our world to experience pain, suffering, mocking, and partnering with us to carry out this kingdom mission. 
when we think about where is God in the suffering, we have to remember that Jesus chose in love to experience suffering. And so if he chose that for us, we choose that for other people. This is part of our story. We too are supposed to be in the midst of suffering. So here's what I want you to do as we end this sermon. I didn't give you a warning, so I apologize. I want us to take communion together. We take communion every Saturday or every the first Saturday of every month in church. And if you haven't come back to the body, we highly encourage you to do that because it's so important that we do this together as family. But if you're at home, I want you to just find a friend or family and take communion together today. And as you do it, I want you to remember two things. One, that our Savior chose suffering to the point of the death on the cross for your sins and for mine and for us to be forgiven always. That where is God in the midst of suffering? That Jesus chose suffering to draw closer to us and to forgive us of our sins. And two, that you would remember that communion is meant to be done in community. So when you are doing it, remember to pray for those in the body who are suffering. And so let's just go ahead and pray as we end today. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you are always with us, that you choose to be in relationship with us. And even though sin into the world and evil into the world and that suffering into the world, that you have overcome it and that you have called us to be in the redeeming business with you. So us as a church, us as individuals, will you help us to be part of the redemptive story of our cities and of our families and of our friends? Lord, will you help us to share the love of God in a world that is hurting, a world, a world that is broken, a world that is suffering? Will you help us to be part of that redeeming story? Lord, we love you with all that we are. We trust you with all that we have. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we love you all. If you need anything, redeem.church, and we'll see you next week.